0: What's up, 26er family? Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features Lucinda Cross. Lucinda is an entrepreneur, motivational speaker, and best selling author. Even while growing up in public housing in New York, Lucinda tapped into her entrepreneurial spirit early. And like many teenagers, she entered college with a plan to graduate in four years and start her career. She juggled school and work, but did not have access to the financial resources that many of her classmates did. So when an opportunity to make fast money presented itself, Lucinda took it. That decision would thrust her into what was the tail end of an FBI investigation. Lucinda would soon find herself as one of 28 co-defendants, all of whom were women in a federal case. And instead of spending four years on a campus, she spent them in prison. During that time, while surrounded by hopelessness, Lucinda leaned on the coping mechanism she learned from her mother, who held two psychology degrees, and she created programming to help other women serving time. After her release, Lucinda found a job at a hospital and set her sights on her degree once again. But that wasn't all. She started advising small businesses on the side, and a side hustle eventually led Lucinda down the path to entrepreneurship. Today, she still wears many hats— one of which is CEO of Activate Worldwide, a leadership services firm that specializes in marketing and consulting those who are considered the best kept secret on their path to building a scalable business model. So here's her story. Please enjoy. Lucinda, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm amazing. Thank you for having me here today. I like that answer because you're already, I can already tell you're like a spitfire. Um, (laughs) That energy comes through. Loud and clear. Uh, So I know this is going to be a a good one. So we were talking uh, before we press record here about just jumping from one thing right into this interview, um, which I always feel like with the women is like that. Like the men kind of just ease on for the most part, but the women always are just like, I was doing this, then I was doing this, then you know I hopped on. Uh, But hopefully, we make this hour worth your while. I'm with it. Let's go. All right, let's hit it.
1: Who is Lucinda Cross? A mother, a wife, I say a mother of three dragons. These kids is crazy. Um, A wife and somebody who um, is a firm believer in in doing what she wants, when she wants, how she wants. That's why I got into entrepreneurship and just a good sister, a good sister friend. That's who I am. I, I like that. So, you know,
0: the idea conceptually around doing what you want when you want to Is really what drives a lot of people to entrepreneurship, not really understanding what goes into like the price you pay for that freedom and what it takes to build a successful entrepreneurial endeavor to the extent that you can stay with it and do that. Um, So tell me a little bit about how this idea in your mind, like when did you first know I want to work for myself? I want to build a brand that's 100 percent me.
1: Um, you know, it was thanks to my mentor. He helped me to kind of hone in because I was really all over the place. I said, you know, I'm in business, but I really wasn't in business. You know, I didn't have the firm foundation and I really wasn't clear on the value that I brought to the table. So it was linking with my mentor back in 2000 and I would say eight That really helped me to get to where I'm at. And I just stayed under his his wing for like the first four years. And just in that process, learning about writing a book, the importance of writing a meaningful book, um, learning about packaging my brilliance. What did that mean? Learning about marketing. And so it was it started back then, even though I've been in business since 2006. It was 2008 when I really started to understand, you know, my market. My message and the value that I brought to the table. Now that's interesting that you say 2008 because when we talk
0: about 2008, and we've had a lot of people on this show who reference 2008, right? Because really? it was a it was a, a year that a lot of people pivoted and not mm-hmm. for the better. Mm-hmm. Many people not for the better. The Great Recession. Mm-hmm. People were losing their jobs, trying to figure out what was next. But for you. Sounds like you, you know, you started entrepreneurship in 2006, started working with your mentor in 2008. So it sounds like you rode the wave even through what was an economic downturn. Absolutely. Yep. So talk to me about what your business. First of all, what were you doing before you got into entrepreneurship? Let's start there and what your business looked like in that first iteration before you locked locked in with your mentor
1: in 2008. So I started out with just doing um, marketing plans. OK, well, I was doing was marketing plans and cre- helping people create a marketing strategy for their campaign. So you wanted to do a watch line. Um, we let's do the marketing plan behind that. What does that look like? Back then, business plans was everything. Everybody wanted to see this 40 page document. Now they just want to see a two pager or really just send me a paragraph, right? And so um, back then, that's what I started out with. Then I went into being a virtual marketing assistant for uh, for authors, coaches, and speakers, working with now my mentors, clients, because he was a business coach for a lot of Um, business startups, they all needed some help behind the scenes and getting the word out there. I mean, this is when Facebook would just say, how's your day today? And you only had a little bit of space or Twitter just allowed you to have like a couple of characters to get it out there. So that's what I worked on. And even from creating keynote presentations for some speakers um, to Ghost writing for some authors, a lot came from, you know, being this virtual marketing assistant. And I built an amazing team at that time who also worked with me because we had the economic downturn and they became virtual assistants mm-hmm. and became virtual assistants for the business owners that I worked with. I stayed at the top working on marketing. They did all of the admin stuff um, and the groundwork for these business owners. And that's what helped. We took steps to grow to where we are now. So talk to me, because a lot of people who have built a
0: brand like this and have worked to advise businesses and do all these things come from the ivory tower. Like they worked in corporate America. They decided to pull the parachute, come out now and use all the expertise that they learned at a Fortune 100 or what have you to uh, to help these
1: businesses on their own. Is that your story, though? No, you you know, I did come from I worked in a hospital and I was working in risk management and performance improvement, but Mm -hmm. I loved what I did. You know, I love the job that I did. I just couldn't, I just didn't like the people I was working with, you know. And because of that, it just I, I said I gotta get out of here. But I took steps. I didn't just take this whole leap, oh, forget corporate America. You know, I had two small children at the time. They were babies, and um, my family thought I was crazy. They're like, You want to get into entrepreneurship, you got a marketing degree, you went to college, girl, Are you crazy. And so um it 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 I was able to take what I learned in college and then also just I always had this entrepreneurial spirit, so I was able to take some of that and add it in. You know, I was the type at a young age to make clothes for my Cabbage Patch dolls. And if you got a Cabbage Patch doll in the neighborhood, guess who was going to sew her clothes? I was, <laughs> you know, so once you got that birth certificate, you better call, you know, me, my name in the hood, Cindy. So Cindy could get you some clothes for your Cabbage Patch doll because your mother's not going to buy them from the store, <laughs> you know, so I would make, you know, try to make some money so I could go to the store that they call Woolworth back in the days oh, and, I love Woolworth. and get some material so that I could hand stitch and create some Cabbage Patch clothes. And so I always had this entrepreneurial spirit, not sure where it came from. My mother allowed us to just be creative. She's a double psychology major. And so, you know, for her, she's like, if you can grab the clouds together, you're amazing, Lucinda, go for it. You know, so she was that type of mom. But um, that's how, you know, I use just the skill set of understanding people and not making things complicated. And I would hear how people would just make things complicated when it came to their business ideas. And I said, well, really, if you do this, this and this, it can happen. You waiting for this approval for this 40 page business plan. Let's go out there and try to let's sell the fish dinners first, see if people like it. And then we go back to this 40 page business plan. Which and I want to talk about the the proverbial fish dinners as well. But going back
0: to your mom, like growing up with a double psychology major, like as a mom, like let's talk about what that was like as a as a kid. Uh, especially like growing up in a black household, you don't hear that every day, right? so what what was your environment
1: like growing up? So it was she because we grew up in in the projects, New York City housing, um, mm. and at that time, it was community based. So you didn't know you were poor. You' just mm-hmm. in a community. you know, you like, oh, we just everybody's cousins, brothers, and and everything. And so, um, in the household, she, it's how do you feel this morning? So you may, I'm going to be serious. The psych, double psychology major, I think she needed a psychologist herself, but I'm the oldest of four, right? And I'm the only girl. Mm. That was the problem. And so it's like, I have to be mom number two. And so either you wake up and it's like, how do you feel today? How's your energy? What are you, what colors are you feeling? Are you focused on green and whites? You know, what are your thoughts? Did you journal today? Um, You know, and so it was everything was about tapping into some type of project that she was working on. She also had me typing up her uh, psychology reports. So I'm reading this stuff as well, because she's teaching me to type on the typewriter as a young kid. Um, She's teaching me how to do meditation um, as a young kid. And just just, she's teaching me the importance of hugging trees, (laughs) you know, but then there's also spankings. So it was like, wait a minute. So while we can't have a discussion about why I did what I did, why we have to go and result to spankings. So I started now using reverse psychology on her. So it's kind of a crazy household because it's like, you're upset and you're making me upset. And now I feel like I need to lie so that you don't be upset anymore. And so now I'm getting a spanking because I'm using what she wrote in her papers on her. So it's it a crazy household. It's kind of, and, kind of and crazy and being
0: the oldest particularly the oldest and and female comes with a lot of responsibility culturally right and in a lot of ways so dealing with that and then you've got the added responsibility of essentially playing added administrative assistant and subject to your to your mom so were you like one of those kids who's like 18, I'm out of here? Like, was that
1: your plan to get out as soon as you graduated? Absolutely. I wanted to get out as soon as possible, you know, because it was I felt there was a, a lot of responsibility on my back that I didn't want to have. I felt like I wasn't living my childhood. And I was like, you know what? I'm out of here. You know, as soon as I get a job, I'm out of here. I don't care what age I am. You know, I'm, I'm getting out of here. And so um, that was a goal. So what did that look like for you? Was it straight to college? Did you detour, move out, work
0: for a bit? Like, what did that trajectory look like?
1: I started to do like little odd and end jobs that didn't work. You know, Burger King, I got fired, you know, the second day because somebody didn't have enough money for food and I gave them the food anyway. And I did it again. You know, a kid was like, well, mommy, can I get this? And she was like, well, we don't have enough for that. And I was like, just take the burger and the shake. It's not a big deal because, you know, and so I got fired for giving away food, which was dumb. I think that was my second day. Um, You know, so I had like these little odd and in jobs. But college was we have a very strong uh, a lot of the females in my family um, is, is go to college and go to more college and go to more college, and then great, get a good job, get married, maybe some more college, okay, so that's the the background, so for me, it was like, all right, I'm just doing college one time, and then I'm going to live my life, but, you know, it, it, that was the goal. Okay,
0: so let's talk about, like, getting out of the house, you, you know, you're working these odd, odd and jobs, you're like, I'm going to college uh, one time, getting this one degree, but
1: what did you envision for your career at that station in life? I wanted to get into entertainment law okay that was a passion I wanted to get into entertainment law I wanted to be behind the scenes to check things out and you know at that time I was like oh I could get free LL Cool J tickets you know if I could be his lawyer <laughs> you know but um it was it was I wanted to do entertainment law but my mother couldn't afford for me to go to college you know mm-hmm. she or to pay for the books for me for school. So that was also a challenge, you know, because mm-hmm. now I have to watch the kids because she's going to school and more school and more school. And then I have to go to school myself and I have to go to my part-time job at the movie theater. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot.
0: So you're, you're juggling all of that. And, you know, you, you talk about now and it's, it's in your bio,
1: a decision that you made that was a detour in your life. So can you tell me about that? yeah I said, you know, you know in college, there's tons of negative opportunities that are presented to you. and for me, I took a, one a yes, you know, and a yes to decide to take something from one location, bring it to another location, get paid, and do it again if I felt like it was good and and I was safe. And so I did that um, only because I said, you know, if I can shorten, if I can lessen the load on my mother, you know, financially. Although it was a two parent household, my mother was the dominating one in the household. My mm. father come, coming from the army in and out, you know, with jobs, sometimes working, sometimes not, she was the dominant one and she showed it. Like she less like crushed his balls. Okay. But, um, and, um, for me, I was like, if I could lessen the load, make my own money, get it in a lump sum, use it so I can buy books. Because here I am, I'm in a private college. And because she didn't want me to go away. I wanted to go to an old black college. She didn't want me to go away. And I kind of resented her for that. And so here I'm in a school with no one who looks like me. No one sounds like me. No one comes from my background. They're driving to school. I'm taking the bus, plus I'm walking, smelling like popcorn. They're buying their books. I'm photocopying my book. It was just for me, not an excuse to take the wrong route. But it was easy for me to say, I can just do this over a course of a couple of days and make how much? And mm-hmm. I said, yes. And after a number of times of going and doing it, because I felt that it was easy, I'd rather take the risk in doing that than sticking it out and working hard, which I should have um, for what the opportunity that I had. But with that struggle mentality, even in a new atmosphere, it didn't It, it I didn't shift. I didn't shift. I just felt like I didn't belong. And now I started making money. And now I'm feeling like I belong. Now I could buy my books. Now I could get the cabs to take me to school. So now I'm fitting into what looks like success and looks like a quote unquote college student. But my mind wasn't there. And now my mind shifted to this quick money that I can make. And a couple of months down the line, second semester hits the federal government comes knocking on my mother's door. I'm supposed to be bringing my brothers to school. And then that was it for. So as it took, instead of graduating in four years, I'm in federal prison for four years. Wow. So I want to unpack this a little bit because, you know, I've spoken
0: to people, people that I know and love and care about, friends who've told me in recent years, we've been out of college now, you know, 17, 16 years, what have you. And they said, you know, I did some things in school I'm not proud of, uh, just to eat or just to be able to buy my books or just to be able to stay in. And I think that's like the, the dirty little secret that like you work hard, you go to these schools, right. And we we we're touting all this rah, rah, we belong here and we could keep up, but there's this socioeconomic element that not only do people not look like you, but they have resources that you don't have. And the stress that that can put on anybody, let alone a teenager who's not yet even equipped to make sound decisions. <laughs> um, yeah oftentimes it's making, they're making choices based on the pressure of trying to keep up. It doesn't excuse bad choices, right? But that pressure of like, I don't know how I'm gonna pay for X, Y, and Z. I'm trying to figure out how to not only get good grades, I don't even have the book to start. And that drives people to do things in a way that they may not have chosen to do them if they weren't under that kind of pressure. Um, In your instance, and, and I've heard these stories like a dozen times over, and a lot of people come out unscathed. That you know, like never caught. Thank God I was never caught, et never. They have the stories, but for you, four years in federal
1: prison? Four years. Now did you fight it or did you did you just go in and say, I'm gonna a plea, do my time I'm and be complete. done? It was the case was larger than what I could have even have imagined. I'm thinking I'm just doing this and it's connected to one person, two people. It was a case that was connected to 65 and 28 of us were indicted and all 28 of us were females. All 28 were females. So I was on, a, I was a part of a case that was being under investigation for three years. They're wondering who is this 18 year old on the tail end of us closing out that's doing these trips mm. and why we can't catch her.
0: So you like your, your photo was probably on the board somewhere with, with strings and
1: how like, she connected. This mm-hmm. This is a whole case, an international case based out of Chicago who's this little one coming from New York? And what is her role? Wow. So when you decided, okay, you know, a clear, I'm part of a larger
0: enterprise that I didn't, I didn't even understand. I've got to take this plea deal and I'm, I'm going to prison. What was your thought at that point? Like, were you thinking, this is it for me? Like, my life is over? Or did you see it as like a finite moment in time? Or did you have no,
1: like, were you just in shock? How were you processing that? I was just in shock. I couldn't believe it. I just wanted to go home. So at 18, the only thing you're thinking is you mean to tell me my mom can't come get me? I jammed myself up so bad that my mother, you know, mom could get you from anywhere. <laughs> you know, mom or dad can get you from any You mean to tell me my mom can't come get me? I can't We can't talk about this? <laughs> like can- from my home? Like let put me on punishment. Like you really going to put me in here? And so my my perception of prison was Really, really, really bad crime criminals are here, not people who make these mistakes. And I've met women in there and young women in there who just were connected to the wrong person, who were at the wrong party, who decided to, you know. And so it was just it was just shocking to see what was going on inside. But I didn't feel like I belong there. I was like, uh, when do I get out? Like in a couple of months? Like, how does this work? Like can I get home by Thanksgiving? Like, how does this, so it was, it was tough.
0: And coming from a family with women who were so hyper-focused on education, how did that play out, right? Because you hear these stories and sometimes you hear families like rally behind the person, like, we're going to go, we're going to do this bit with you, right? We're going to support you. We're going to put money on your books. We'll be there. And these other families that are like, these are your poor choices. It's not how our family should be reflected. See you when you get out. Where did your family fall on that spectrum?
1: This is not how we should be reflected. See you when you get out. So you were really on your own. Do what you got to do. So it was my grandmother who sent in $25 for my commissary. And she still, I see her today. She will slap my hand if I remove the $25 money order. I said, grandma, who goes to the post office? And why are you still putting $25? But anyway, and my mother you know, who was there. My father was still there. You know, my brother, she didn't let them, she let them think that I went to the military. She didn't tell them. Um, She let me do that when I came home. But um, the rest of the family was history. Not one letter. Didn't receive a phone call, not a photo, not commissary, nothing. So how
0: does one, so we all know those years between 18 and, you know, 22 are formative years, no matter where you are experiencing them. How do you transition into adulthood
1: in a federal prison? What what was that like for you? Um. Well, one, you are supported. I was supported because one, I they're like, oh, that's that's little New York. That's half pine over there, you know. And I was in there doing my psychology. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm doing reverse psychology. I got them doing all kinds of journal writing and. Let's talk about it and meditations at eight, guys. You know, so it was the creative little crazy New Yorker who was out there being this life coach to grown women and having them do vision boards on the compound because there was no programs like that. Either it was horticulture, but I'm in New York, so I'm not growing anything, and parenting, I didn't have any children, or cosmetology, but I didn't desire to work on anybody's hair because I didn't want to have to get beat up if I burn somebody's scalp with the perm. So I was like, I'm staying away from this stuff. But um, it was the activities that my mother would do to me and the stuff that I would read in her papers that I would just use as my own little workshops inside. And that was part of my, you know, my stamp inside as this young, positive individual who was looked out for. Don't yeah. know- don't mess with little New York. Leave her alone. So it really, honestly,
0: it sounds like was the start of the brand that you now walk in every single day. Absolutely. So at the time, let's say I don't like to focus too much on the negative experiences in in people's lives because there's so much more of your story. But at the time, as your sentence is coming to a close, What was your vision for your life when you got out? Did you think, okay, what I'm doing in here, this is a part of what I'm supposed to be doing when I get
1: out. Do you think I'm just going back to school? What was your plan? To go back to school, to try to get um, a good job Mm -hmm. um, and figure out what opportunities I have. I knew that I wanted to get into business. I wanted to open up some type of innovation school that was different um, because i seen such a lack mentally with the women that were inside I was like, if we, we need some type of life empowerment, you know, like it's just, it's just really sad. You know, I've seen women of all ages and I was like, wow, you know, I learned that when I was eight, you know, so it was, we need a school. And so I wanted to create a creative school to start raising young girls in a certain way mentally, um, to be ahead of the game and be strong, but couldn't get into school because I had a record, you know, and so got into business later on, but I also experienced the the challenges of not getting the support when I came home because people were treating me like I was a virus. You know, you say, oh, you did some time. They grabbing their purse. I'm like, listen, I, I, I had nothing to do with a purse. OK. You know, they grabbing their purse. they Oh, my God, she's she's dangerous or, you know, or, you know, they're wondering. So what was it like? Were you touched inside? Do you still like men? You know, and it was like, wait a minute, I'm the same way. Time just passed by I'm the same way, you
0: know, so. Right. And which is why I don't like to get into like the sensationalized questions about um, prison. And, and one thing and I've brought it up on this show. I've been inside a federal prison before as a volunteer. And some of the most brilliant people I've ever met, people who are a product of their circumstance, you know, third generation incarcerated or got just caught up in the wrong crowd, or, you know, at a young age. But some of the most brilliant ideas that will never be unleashed outside of those walls because they're, you know, because of choices that have been made. Um, so now your experience of coming out and having a vision. But this is, you know, before people were talking about ban the box and all this other stuff and having, uh, being sullied by a record, how were you able to
1: start to put the pieces of your life together in your career? I was just determined to not be a statistic. So I was so focused on fighting against the government and the odds that they set of what you can't have, that I wanted to see if I can, if I can do it and do the opposite, you know, and not be the statistic. As soon as I got into the halfway house, they was like, "Well, just make sure you don't do anything to f up and go back to prison." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Well, actually, I was just gonna go sign up for college this afternoon." Like, damn! But you know, so it was. It I had a determination to remove the number from my name and become Lucinda Cross.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we we all know that
0: like there are challenges to overcome uh, once you've been locked down. What was the first? thing that happened where you could start to see the light in the tunnel
1: it was I would say it was getting my first couple of paychecks Mm -hmm. and feeling like I was a part of society you know getting into a job um, where at that time my supervisor and my boss at that time was like listen nobody needs to know your business so where did you start? Where was this job? So this job was at a telecommunications company. This okay. is before I got into the hospital. The real light was when I got into the hospital job. Then I was like, whoa, okay. It was really it was really nice um, um, because a lot of the female directors, higher ups, they were all females and they were minorities. And I was like, whoa, okay. It's good to see y'all here suited up. But the, my first job working in a telecommunications company in Queens, Queens, New York, and starting to receive those paychecks um, because in prison, you get you're getting paid pennies. You know, your paycheck may be like four dollars and sixty eight cents. And you like, whoa. you know, but to see a real paycheck and I'm like, wow, you know, and opening up my first bank account ever. Mm-hmm. Thanks for bringing that up. Man, mm-hmm. that that that's wow. that was my moment opening up my bank account with my first couple of paychecks. And the reason that I asked that question is because you know
0: for some people it may not be we all have these traumatic experiences for some it may not be incarceration it may be the death of a loved one or mm-hmm. losing their dream job or becoming clinically di- depressed and ending up in a the facility there are all these different things but one of the things that i think that that really are the ties that bind in this show is featuring stories where people have had a moment where they're in the valley and you literally got to figure out what the first step is and you know what you may have had envisioned for your life—that dream is gone. Yep. And now we've got to re-envision and reimagine. Yep. And I talk to people all the time who are like, "I don't know what the first step is to take." I literally everything is screwed up, and they usually don't say the word "screwed," but everything is is messed up, and I don't even know what the first thing is. And one of the things that I'm committed to my messaging is that if you just stay the course, a new vision will reveal itself, and it doesn't reveal itself often all at once. Mm. it's it's the little light that turns on first that this is okay this happened right yes. and you get a little bit more confidence you say okay i'm just keep going and you have to to build on that we don't we don't reinvent ourselves and reinvent our lives from these major traumatic things overnight that's not the way it happens but if you can look at the mile markers along mm. the way yeah that show you that you're headed in the right direction you build and build and at some point things click where you're like I got a new dream now. Um, So for you, it was telecommunications, opening a new, you know, opening a bank account, building on that. So, but how did you
1: transition now into, of all places, a hospital? Um, Getting into, um, what are they called? Temp agencies. Mm -hmm. And the person who was interviewing me for the temp agency just fell in love with my personality. And she said, you know, I'm not going to put you in these low ends. I'm going to start you here in the hospital, working in patient relations at this hospital. And I said, okay. And she said, just you get this job. This one is looking for a permanent worker and, um, go for it. And, you know, she helped me with my skill set. She told me to come in a couple of days on the off time to start typing and working on Excel spreadsheets and all the things that I would need to excel at the job. And, um, she just showed me a lot, and it helped me with my skill set I didn't have any computer skills. I didn't you know, and so it just really that that's how I got into the hospital job. And that from that hospital job, that's when I started to, you know, just kind of get a taste of my entrepreneurial spirit again. and did you
0: like moving into now what some would deem more prestigious opportunities? was it in the back of your head that like, okay, if they do offer me a full time position, I'm going to have to fill out some paperwork and they may run a background check. Am I even going to be able to do that? Like,
1: if am I going to be able to have an offer extended to me? Were you thinking about those things as you were building your skill set? Absolutely, because it's a big fear of people finding out. It's like I don't want people to find out what I did and I didn't check the box. Mm. I didn't. And I told my probation officer, I said I didn't check the box. Mm. And he said, did you get the job? And I said, yeah. He said, well, you check the box. I said, I checked the box. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be telling me stuff. But um, I didn't check it. And mm. um, I, didn't wa- I didn't want to because I wouldn't have gotten a job. But it didn't. I was there for so long. And even at that time, you would pull up. They were looking for crimes with children, child abuse, you know, drugs in in terms of drug using and stuff like that. And so federal cases, you really had to do a deep dive search to pull up federal cases at that time. Most of the state, city, county, you do the name search and their name comes up. You're not going to find a mugshot for federal, you know, at that time, unless it's like big deal. And so, um that's that's how it worked. So they did the background check. I was scared. I was like, oh, my God, they called me. It was full time. They said, you got the job. And but I was honest with my supervisor and told her because my probation officer had to come, I think, once every other week or something biweekly to check on me. And um, I didn't want her to, you know, kind of be alarmed because he has to show his badge and sign and who's my supervisor to sign. So it was really embarrassing and humiliating. So I told her. And she was upset, accepting of that.
0: Yes. Okay. So this is what I find interesting about your story, because not only that you were able to excel in this way, but most people now, having you know, gone from like the first job and in, in telecom, getting things set up, getting into the temporal, getting through the the red tape of being able to work in a hospital full time. Most people would be like, I'm good. Like I am I have a good job. Yeah, You know, I'm, yeah. I've got benefits. Like everything is great. I'm not jumping out of the window mm-hmm. for, anybody, for anybody. But you had this entrepreneurial bug. Mm-hmm. So did you start like the way a lot of people start where like you have this day job, but you're working on some things in the evenings and you're off time?
1: Yep, absolutely. So I was going to, I was working full time I was going to school full time. And while I was in school is when I would do a lot of my work. So I was going to school for business. And at that time, Mercy College really didn't have as much. There was teaching, but I was like, this has to be more. We have to be able to interview some business owners. We have to be able to talk to some bankers about how to be successful. Like I get the book knowledge, but can we talk to people who are doing it? And I reached out to the school, um, the student government. I said, can I have some, is there a space that I can use on the weekends to pull some authors in? Like we're reading about certain things and talking about, can I pull some people in? And I, it was like, sure. Um, You're a student here. The space is open for you. Just let us know what date and time. We make sure security's on set. And so I was like, let me go talk to the bank, Bank of America. Can somebody come in and talk to us about business loans, banking, checking, and started just doing more of that. And that's how I really kind of got into it was just me filling a need for some of the students that was on campus. Mm-hmm. Who were like, all right, we got the book knowledge, but how does this all work? You know, and that's how I started diving into it. And the more I did it, um, the more I said, well, you know, business owners was like, well, um, people were like, well, my friend want to start a business. Can you help them with their business plan? And I was like, sure. And Started getting paid for that. And now I'm doing that on the side. So I got the side hustle doing the business plans and the marketing plans and more people sharing. And I started connecting. The, the people at the bank were sending me referrals at that time because I was a college student. And when um, it was like a lot of people come here, they want loans, but they don't have the business plan. Is this something you can do? Yeah. All right. And so that. That was a great connection and I'm doing it on the side and now I'm at the job like I don't even want to be here because my job only take me three hours, you know, take me three hours out of the whole eight y'all paying me. So the rest of the time I got access to a fax machine, a printer. Oh, I'm lit. <laughs> I got a whole business going on. <laughs> I'm showing up all crazy. You know, it, it's just like, I'm like, I got to do a lunch. I'm, I'm doing lunch meetings up the block. I'm taking, you know, it just started getting crazy. Your girl was working it. <laughs> but see, that's bad. that's back
0: when like you could utilize corporate resources and nobody
1: knew, right?
0: Like before they started shedding things, you know, back in the day, people were printing church programs at work. Yep liars like <laughs> anything you wanted yep. now, I don't know Budgets change and they started watching yep. stuff a lot more closely but back then you could really get away with running a whole side project yes, you out could. of your job yes you could yes you could <laughs> <laughs> so tell me when you decided like how long between when you started doing these business plans and stuff to when you decided
1: okay I'm gonna be a full-time entrepreneur how long was that that period oh man I don't even. I left corporate America well the the job the hospital in 2006, August August 31st, 2006. And I've never looked back. So I don't remember when I got hired, but so
0: what what was the foundation? Like, did you have the cushion to say, OK, I have a runway of six months to make this work or three? Like, what was that that foundation for you when you went
1: out on your own? I started saving up some money and I was like, you know what? Let me start building and doing some more networking. Like back then they had all these networking groups that you pay into a membership for. So yeah. I bought into some of these networking groups and showed up to get clients. But I saved about three months. Um of income. I said, if I can make my check, if I can make what I make in a month or two in this one month, I'm out of here. You know, mm-hmm. and I kind of challenged myself. So I didn't really have a strong nest egg, but it was just more of the determination because I've seen that there was a demand. And if I could do more time, if I had more time to do it, I'd make more money. And it it, it worked like that.
0: And one thing I want to call out about what you said is that you spent money to mm-hmm. network or and otherwise. Because I think sometimes people in this like digital media era, especially now, people come up with these great ideas and they don't want to spend any money. Like they don't want to invest in marketing themselves, building out their network. So often what people do is they come up with something, they put it on the the internet, right? Facebook, IG, you know, I'm launching my brand and all the homies say, congratulations, right? This is so dope, you know, Mm go sis. And then when the clients don't come, they're like, okay, you know, what do I do now? Not realizing that you have not really invested in business development. Like announcing on social media is not a marketing strategy. And I'm going to beat that dead horse until
1: people get it. Yes. 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 Yes, I had to pay for uh, coaching. I had to pay for networking. I had to pay. Listen, a post on Facebook is not going to do it. That's it's not, not going to do it. building. That's not relationship building. It's not You're tagging me on, tagging ninety three people. Tag me and you, and I'm not your friend, and we're blocking you. Boy. So, so so
0: yes, like people. So I think that's one issue that a lot of entrepreneurs have early in the journey, just not investing in the business development piece and getting out there. And another issue that I think happens a lot is people not knowing how to appropriately set rates. Right. So they have the decent profit margins. And, and something that I I read in my preparation for this interview is you saying you almost ended up homeless because you didn't know your worth.
1: And can you tell me a little bit about that? What you meant by that? So, you know, my mentor brought me to the table. This is the beauty of being able to invest in your time, your money. And even with my mentor, I didn't have to invest money, but I did some work. Right. And but he brought me to a million dollar table, multi dollar table with other business coaches. And I created uh, was able to create a joint venture with one of them. And um, that joint venture afforded me the opportunity within the first, I guess, two years of me just starting out my business to make six figures if I did it right. And I kind of, I procrastinated I kind of, I procrastinated on the proposal because I had this um, perfectionist um, mentality. And because I had the perfectionist mentality, I kept wanting to fine tune, double check, cross, you know, make sure the teasers, instead of just submitting it. And I've already ran the pilot with the the company, um, the joint venture partner. So I already was equipped to do the job. But when it came time to submitting the proposal to make the joint venture official and expand my business to like thousands and thousands of other coaches, um, I procrastinated on it and missed the deal and missed the deal. I went in such a deep depression and also a deep jealousy mode because the person that she did do the joint venture with actually took My process, they gave my process to them to do. And this person, all they had was a yes. I had the skill set, the talent. I've I've done the pilot for a couple of months already for six months. I was getting paid more than I've ever had before. And all I needed to do was submit the proposal to make it official. And we had a date that it would be exposed to her market. But I didn't follow through. And that delay set me back. And here I am, carved towed, lights off, sending my kids over to my mother. Um, just in a bad space, you know, and literally had to move, you know, going back to my mom's house, you know, so it was a lot because that depression just set, you know, I was just like, how could I, why did I, what's going on? Where was this fear of success, fear of failure, fear of rejection? I self-sabotaged myself and because I just couldn't get myself back up. It was just, I was missing out on money. I didn't want to do business. I just was like, oh, and um, it took a lot to climb out of that space because now you're broke and literally hungry. And now, like I shared, you know, in my story, I think that that Holly Berry haircut I had was looking like Sealy from the color purple, you know. And I was like, <laughs> not Sealy though, because back then that's when perms was in. Now I'm not putting a perm in for nothing, but back then you had to have you, you if you wasn't fried to the bone. Okay, listen, we were all on that six week relaxing schedule, hair done every two weeks. everything was burnt scalp smelling like burnt bone chicken (laughs) always but
0: one of my favorite quotes is perfectionism is the highest order of self-abuse and a a lot of big dreamers and visionaries also on the other end of the spectrum we suffer from that so it's always this internal turmoil of like i have these really big ideas but i want everything to be just so before Mm. i launch and um One of my other one of the other quotes that that resonates with me, and I've mentioned on this show before, is the founder of LinkedIn, I believe, who said, if your brand is perfect when you launch, you waited too long, right? Something isn't. Yeah. So I think we we often miss out on what is a golden opportunity because we're we're always trying to tweak and make sure that it's just right. But I don't necessarily blame us as individuals for that, because I think culturally it's just been ingrained in us also that like you have to be twice as good to get half as much. So Mm -hmm. we also want to present, we always want to present at 130, right? We don't want to turn into 75%. We want to be better than. um, And oftentimes I think that mentality, which I'm not, I'm not ignoring the fact that that is true in a lot of spaces. We have to be um, much better, but sometimes we are handed an accelerator, like we're handed an opportunity that can launch us to the next level. And we have joint ventures or partners who can help push us and yep. move along a lot more quickly. And we got to separate ourselves from that philosophy of, like, I don't turn this off. Like you said, you had a track record already. It literally was just a yes. And anytime you are building anything that's bigger than yourself and you're trying to expand and grow, the shoes are always going to be a little bit too big. And you yep. just have to get comfortable with walking until you grow into them. That's right. So how did you pivot after having that experience of losing so much, you know, because of a missed opportunity? How did you pivot and get back on your
1: feet? I had to rebrand. I had to rebrand, remarket, reposition. I shut everything down and started over. So you started over and you built what is now a successful, sustainable, activate. Activate. Tell me what your brand looks like today. So my brand today is something that is, I say it supports those who consider themselves the best kept secret. And the brand is now being, it's a platform that supports you in building your credibility, building your visibility and building your profits. And we focus on those three areas because um, a lot of people want to be seen and heard, but it's like, what's your message? hmm that's not sexy enough. That's not provocative. That's not disruptive. Like we gotta get to the to the meat of the frustration. People want to be visible, but they're just not willing to do the work. And then the profit side, people are not understanding the value that they bring to the table. So we help with that full package um, for each individual that we work with um, in the company. And you know, have some amazing coaches that are part of the team, trainers that are part of the team um, to assist with that. So and- it's a platform. Mm-hmm. And you've written books as well. Yes. So my latest book is The Big Ask. That's the one I want everybody to get. It's on Amazon. The Big Ask, 21 Keys to Get Everything You Deserve and You Desire. Just learning how to ask. You know, we talk about getting your ass together. Um, Don't be an ask hole, right? Um, We talk about get your ass. Um, We talk about... I got my other one. Don't be an cold, Get your ass together. It's like 21 keys. They're all super dope, but I have my favorite keys in there. But um, it's definitely a book to read for everyone.
0: So I want to shift gears a little bit, um, because you mentioned growing up the dynamic that you've seen, you saw with your parents, and then also your experiences um of, of the life that you've built and clearly you're driven. And to let to lead a company, we know requires a strong, you know, personality. And one of the things that Women in your position often talk about this success out in the world, but an inability to find success personally in relationships. You've worked that out, right? You're, you know, a wife and a mom. But how are you able to to get to a place of love and marriage, not necessarily having seen a balanced relationship in the home, and then moving and shaking out in the world as this really strong woman?
1: So I had some great role models to look at when I was growing up. You know, although, you know, in my home, what I realized is my mother and I and I marked and I said, you know, I want somebody who's like my dad. You know, he deals with mommy's crazy. He is funny all the time. He's he's happy all the time. He finds a great way to make the best out of the worst. Um, Mommy's a little, you know, we don't know what's going on day to day, but (laughs) she's too busy analyzing everybody. Um, And so, you know, with even within my own household, I was still a daddy's girl. You know, mm-hmm. but I've seen models like my godmother, father, some my aunts and uncles. I've seen some great role models on how they built a foundation and a family together, and I've seen that it took a partnership on both sides. Um And I also seen things that I didn't want to do in my relationships, and especially growing up. You know, I'm like, mm, yeah, that, you know, my mother always just said, you don't, you never give, you never tell your left hand what your right hand is doing. You know, and so. You know, you don't always give all your cookies away. You know, somebody got to bring the milk to the table. You don't always just, you know. And so with that type of mentality, I said, you know, I'm always looking for partnership, but make sure that I'm happy. Mm -hmm. And coming from, you know, a people pleasing back uh, uh, personality, you know, um, it was a balance that I had to learn. You know, when is people pleasing harming me? Because now it's like yes, 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 yes to everybody. And now I'm exhausted. And when can people pleasing serve me when it comes to building a strong relationship or partnerships or connections? So mm-hmm. and how have you found balance between juggling work and three kids, especially mm-hmm. now? <laughs> um, so you know, my oldest is 19, my daughter's 16, mm-hmm. the one who's made this blended family, he's 10. Um, and they're There is balance because I had to make time for myself. Like I have like a kindergarten schedule. So Mm -hmm. I have nap time, snack time, fun time, you know, work time. And so, you know, I can't, I'm not getting on social media if I'm not working on the profit side, the income producing side of my business. Um, And then also I'm deliberate on when my kids are around or when my husband is around taking the time to be attentive. Before, you know, I'm having, I have, used to have my laptop everywhere. my I'm on my computer all day, you know, and so I had to start to edit my life. And that's what helped me to gain some sort of normalcy, you know, because balance was kind of tough because one side is always tipping over, but something that worked for me and my family and I let them know what I'm working on. Hey guys, here's a project that I'm working on. It's going to take a lot of my time, you know, um, let's weave in some dates, you know, in between. So I got my mommy, mommy and me date with my daughter. So she could feel like she has attention. My son, my 10 year old, let's do something crazy. i watch you do Fortnite while I'm over here on Instagram posting, you know? And so it's just trying to find a way to make it work, but also letting the family in on what it is that I'm doing so they don't feel neglected.
0: And what I think is important like to highlight is I think sometimes this grind culture is like we feel like if we're not running after every opportunity and on 24/7 that prosperity can't come to us. like we're always reaching. And to me, the energy around that is lack. If, that's my personal belief. If you feel like you got to be running 24/7 and I can't turn down anything, You are coming from a place of lack. And if that's the energy that you put out into the world, it's never going to be enough, right? Mm -mm. But if you can change the energy to, I can say no, I can be discerning and I can say no to certain opportunities to find my balance. That comes from a place of abundance. That that to me that means that you believe in the law of universal supply, and there's going to be enough. And when the right opportunities come, they bring enough values so that I don't have to work all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I'm learning. I'm, I don't really have it, you know, all figured out. But yeah, it's, it's funny. I've, been, I've been trying to keep that at the top of mind, especially thinking about what does the next phase of my life look like, you know, with marriage and family, and how am I going to balance all those things? and trying to figure that balance out. And, mm-hmm. and how to turn things down and how to say no now uh, mm-hmm. before I have to, yeah. um, for sure. So let's talk about going back to your business for a bit. You talked about the training and the coaching that you you offer, but the
1: Activate Experience. Mm-hmm. Can you go into a little bit more detail about that? Sure. So with the Activate Experience, it 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 is um, not only is it a brand, but it also was a, a whole event experience, mm-hmm. and it's all about. Um, showing up and showing off mm. you know, and tooting your own horn and really pushing that button to do like that skyrocket. Like back in the days with Sonic, you get that, you get that extra push, the Sonic game, the Sonic catch heart game, you get that extra push and you go super. So it's really just pushing that activate button. And so the experience is about letting people know that what you have is meaningful. Um, and we nurture that. We, as a company partner with that. And then it's just all about feeling like turning people into their own superhero. You know, you you are your own superhero. You are here to save the day and it it feels good. It feels good. So the experience is all about, you know, just tapping into those um, emotions and, and the mindset to give people the confidence to keep pushing forward and not give up because we say, listen, you don't have permission to give up. Sorry, it's too late. You signed up for this thing called life and we're going to help you get through this by helping others.
0: And has your brand changed
1: or the way that you approach things been affected by this pandemic? It's, the brand hasn't changed. The direction has. Now okay. I want to go more into the content producing side of it versus delivering the content. Now, let's see, let's bring some of these brilliant minds to the table and see how we can publicize this in a major way. And so that's some of the things that I'm looking to work on. But also I was just, I had to scale back too. So with the pandemic, I was looking like, whoa, you were doing way too much, girly. Like there's some things that I no longer want to do anymore with the business. And I had to look at what was bringing the biggest return, not only financially, but um, the impact.
0: And I'm, I'm telling you, I have been still re- pretty busy, you know, during this time we've all been shut down. But I have said, I don't want to go back to the hundred miles an hour I was moving at before this this quarantine. Like I just, when you have a chance to actually just slow down a little bit, and you realize the toll that it was actually taking, you might have had
1: better balance than I did. But I don't, yeah. I don't want to go back to that. I don't, uh-uh. don't want to go back to that. Not at all. I, it, it's just, uh-uh. I, this, this is a nice pace. I'm mm-hmm. good. I'm so I'm so good with it. Right. That's
0: where I am. So but before we let you get out of here describe a time when you had to be
1: extraordinary on an ordinary day, oof. the time that I, um, oof. there's a lot <laughs> extraordinary on an ordinary day. Huh. I think that's every day. No, I'm like no, <laughs> no.
0: people, people have given that as the,
1: if I think about it, my very first conference, Um, Because my mom passed in 2013. So she didn't get to see much of the major success. She heard me talk about it. But for her to see it after I revamped the brand and built it, um, my very first conference, it was in September. My mom passed Mother's Day weekend in May 2013. And she was helping me put the conference together. She's the one that was like, let's go get Les Brown. I'm gonna put my money in too so we could book him for it, as long as I have a front seat girlfriend. And to still put on that event with the support of my team, friends, everybody on Facebook at that time who was like, listen, we are not gonna let Lucinda stop. And for them to still show up, sign up, um, sponsor support, just be there for me and One of my darkest hours because I I really was a walking zombie. That's when extraordinary had to come out.
0: And, you know, it's interesting talking. I would say that grief is not linear. Right. So, Sometimes you have a major loss and you push through anyway. Um, some people hit rock bottom immediately. It, it can go, it come in waves. For you, you mm-hmm. persevered there, but did you ever have a, a moment in that grief process where you like where you were like, everything has to stop? Did you have
1: that experience did you continue to, to forge ahead? I did have that experience, but it just, it wouldn't sit for too long because I had so much to do. Also, I had her three mama's boys, you know, who were leaning on me And they gave me the energy that I needed Mm -hmm. to put forward as well, in addition to my kids. So it it was where I want to stop. But I'm like, my brothers are looking at me. If they see me break down, they're going to break down. My kids see me break down, they're going to break down. Um, So I had my grief moments at times, but I had to still remember, all right, the matriarch is not here, but let's continue to show them that we can live through her. you know, her dreams and her things. And so.
0: And you yeah. continued to build. Now we're coming to the end of 2020 um, and your, your brand continues to grow and evolve. So in addition to the big ask, tell us where people can learn more about you and your offerings and, and
1: in case they want to find out about coaching, et cetera. Absolutely, they can go to lucinda.cross.com. That is That's the really Instagram, LucindaCross. Instagram, I love Instagram to hang out there. Um, but my website, lucinda.cross.com, for all the goodies. And do you you called out your latest book, but do you want to name the other books they can they can buy as well? Get the big ask. That, Get that, the big ask, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For all my uh, procrastinators out there, did we I mean, we need to tell them to take one step at a time.
0: <laughs> this is true. Take one bite of, you know, eat the elephant in, in, in small bites. We'll, we'll focus on that. So i thoroughly enjoyed this. We, we made it through. We were talking about how we both had really crazy days uh, today. And we got it done in about an hour. That. So to our listeners, you heard it here, the big ask. I know many of our our 26er population are in a place where they want more. They're trying to figure out how to get more. They're pitching brands, they're pitching ideas, books, music. The list goes on and on. So check out Lucinda's book, The Big Ask, on Amazon. Check out Lucindacross.com if you are looking for personal and professional development and looking to to expand and enlarge your territory invest in a Coke, do it. We had to put money, we said that earlier, we've got to put money behind our vision and dreams. So make sure you check her out We'll follow her on Instagram. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delicia. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.